Well, it is good to be with you. I don't know how I'm going to change gears, but I'm sure going to try here. In fact, let me just do this. Let me just read our text. If this is the only thing I get through for the rest of the day, that, that, that'll be great, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So we're going to be here today. And let me just read to you the first nine verses. I'm going to get to the song, so don't let the song disappear. I'm going to do that here in just a second. It just I couldn't pull off a song after that prayer. So here it goes. Here's what Kehelet, the preacher, writes in Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? Friends, this is God's Word this morning. Do any of those words sound familiar to you? Have you ever heard that before? We're getting ready to demonstrate how quickly we can change seasons from a time to mourn to maybe a time to laugh. And I'm going to play a song for you. I know last week, Dave Hopping, uh, who works with our youth, he played a video. Um, I'm just a couple steps behind him. I'm going to play audio for you. I know, I'm trying to work up to where uh, Dave is with his mastery of technology. Uh, but, but let me just play this song for you because this might ring some bells of where you might have heard this passage before. So go ahead and cue the music in the back here. Have you heard it? You can sway for a minute if you want to. Cell phones. All right, there we go. Well done in the back. All right, so do you know what that was? What's it called? What's the name of that song? Anybody? So say it loud, just say it. Yeah, Time to Turn by the Birds, or Turn, Turn, Turn. The Birds, right? Made popular in the 50s, right, during the time of Vietnam and war. And if, if you pay attention to the song, minus about five words, you know what it is? It's Scripture verbatim. You know what they were pushing for in that song, what made it popular? That refrain, a time for peace, I swear it's not too late, right? They interpret this passage as saying, hey, this is here to help us have an eye towards peace. Did you also know that this is one of the few passages of Scripture that's still tolerable at memorial services of people who aren't Christians? They'll read this. And in a way, I think it's read to give us comfort that at the end of life, it's like, well, this is just a season that we push through. And there'll be more times and more seasons. 
So what is it that Kehelet, and what is it that God would have for us here? Is it the bird's interpretation? Peace? Is it just a time to make us go, yeah, there's just a season and we need to keep pressing forward? What is it that God would have us get out of this today? Well, the first point we want to look at is this idea of the rhythms of life. The rhythms of life. Really, these first nine verses is Kehelet, the preacher, the author, holding before us that, that life has rhythms to them. And these rhythms are uncontrollable, they're continuing, and they're unrelenting. It's like waves at the ocean. And do you know what he calls these rhythms in this passage? Did you see it in verse 1? What do he call it? For everything there is a what? A season. It's a season. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Right? More song lyrics for those of you keeping score at home, right? Seasons. They, they keep coming and they, they impact us. We can't escape them. And so here's three things we're going to learn about the rhythms of life or these seasons as we look at the text here today. The first is that seasons are inescapable. They're inescapable. We cannot get away from these seasons. It says for everything there is a season. Some of these seasons are short, right? He says there's a time for mourning and dancing. Just this week, there was a day where I was in my office and I was grieving in the morning. And then later that night, do you know what I was doing? I was dancing at a wedding. Well, I won't tell you who was out there on the dance floor with me, but we were, we were jammed. I mean, I, giraffes can dance, y'all. I'm telling you, we can pull it off. But those seasons were boom, boom. Some of our seasons are longer. right? Did anybody, as you read, a time to embrace and a time to stop embracing? Did anybody think about the pandemic? I did. I did. When I read it this week, I just stopped and I was like, huh, that was a season I could not control. Beginning of March, I was shaking hands at church and hugging people. And then for the next 15 months, it was on hiatus. I had no control over that. Some of us this morning were at war with our children when we woke up and by the end we were making peace. Some of us have decades long of what feels to be weeping before it gives way to laughter. Some of us experience tearing and peacemaking when friendships, when something goes toxic or sideways or wrong and it has to end, and then in days or weeks or months or years or decades, we have that moment for reconciliation. You know, for those of us who have seen the first or the second versions of Jumanji, in a way these seasons kind of feel like those drums that start playing in the background. And they know that once those drums start beating, they can't help what comes next. And that's what Kehelet is communicating first about these seasons, that they are inescapable. Here's the second thing. These, these comparisons that we see in verses 2 to 8 are showing us. is showing us the scope of life. It's the scope of life. These, uh, these comparisons, right, born, die, so on and so forth, they're what's called merisms. You know what a merism is? It's a figure of speech that gives us two poles to, to show us a whole. And so an example of that that we might know is I've searched high and low. When we say that, are we saying I just look up here and I just look down here and I, I don't look in here? No, it's saying, it's saying I looked everywhere. And so as Kehelet writes, what he's doing is he's giving us the full scope of human life. Birth and death, that's the whole of life. Weeping and laughing, that's the range of human emotions. 
Now, there's also a number to pay attention to. There's 14 pairings here. And in the Bible, when you see something that's divisible by seven, it's communicating something. It's communicating the idea of completeness. And so Kehelet is saying, hey, this right here is just this microcosm of the completeness of the human experience. And here's the third thing he would say, is that these seasons are inescapable. It demonstrates the scope of the human experience. And it also demonstrates our remarkable lack of control over any of them. Here's what Derek Kidner would say. He says, we throw ourselves into some absorbing activity which offers us fulfillment, but how freely did we choose it? Perhaps our choices are no freer than our responses to winter and summer, childhood and old age, dictated by the mark of time and of unbidden change. Whatever be our skill or initiative, our real masters seem to be these inexorable seasons. Not only those of the calendar, but the tide of events which moves us now to one kind of action which seems fitting, and then now to another, which puts it all into reverse. Friends, I I would offer you this. I think the birds have it wrong. It's a great song. But I think they have it wrong. I think we have it wrong if it's something to just kind of assuage the fact that there are seasons that we just move through and we just have to accept it. In fact, I say that because do you hear how verse 9 summarizes it? He says, what gain has the worker from his toil. That's an interpretive move, saying seasons are exhausting. Seasons are hard. When we find ourselves in the rhythm of that which we can't control, it's tough. There's two observations to be made. One, we dance to a tune that is actually not to our making. No matter how much we think we can carve our own way forward and we have our own free will, we're entrapped in these seasons. Friends, you can't walk outside in the winter without it dictating you need to put on a coat or you'll freeze to death. Here's the fallen condition of this passage, if there was one. One is we are helpless against the constant rhythms of this world. So let me just ask you this. How do you do with change? How do you do with seasons that come? Do you fight it? Do you hold on to the ideal with gripped fingers, fighting tooth and nail any change that comes? How's that treating you if you do? For me, when I do, not if, but when, I'm usually gripped with anxiety and hopelessness because I really want to be in control. It's hard for me to accept things like, my kids will leave the house. I will die. Friends will come in and out of my life for the duration of it. Friends, if if we neglect to name the reality that there are seasons in our lives, it will slowly pull us apart. Now I can stop here, and do you know what I've just preached? A wonderful sermon for a Stoic, right? You know what Stoicism is? It's a philosophy that believes that a path to peace and happiness is found in accepting the moment as it presents itself not allowing ourselves to be controlled by the desire for pleasure or the fear of pain. And then it also says, hey, and we can get together and seek justice and keep moving forward. That's Stoicism in a nutshell. I would actually argue that that's one of the emerging philosophies of our day. For those who aren't followers of Jesus Christ, and I think it's trickling into the church as well. 
Can I throw another rhythm out that I think we are all also under captive to that, that maybe we missed in this, but I think it is implicit by what the author writes? It's sin. It's sin. You know what sin is? It's rebellion against God in thought, word, or deed. It is called by Scripture our original state that we're born into. And you're like, where did you get sin from this passage? Well, two places. One, did you see the results of sin? Death, mourning, weeping. Those are the effects of sin. Would have never existed before Genesis chapter 3. Did you also see the other impacts of sin? Killing, hating, war. You know what sin does? It destroys our vertical relationship with the God of the universe, and it destroys our horizontal relationships with one another. And it is ever-present in this passage. Some would say, no, Anthony, I'm totally free. I'm I'm free. Free will, I can choose and do whatever I want. And, And let me just say this. One, I think this passage would say, we're not even free from the seasons we go through in life. But secondly, I think this would articulate to us that we're not even free from sin. We don't have that free will to do what's right and to follow after God. We, by nature, after Genesis 3, we are children of wrath. One illustration that James Boyce, a former pastor at 10th Pres down in the city, would use when he talks about this idea of sin and its total depravity uh, that, that yields itself in human life is a picture of a lion who is starving. He said, yeah, you can say that lion has total free will. And if that lion's starving, you can put before him a bowl of meat and a bowl of wheat. Where do you think that lion's going to go? No matter how much free will that lion has to choose, dude ain't ever going to eat like the Whole30 diet thing, right? He's never going to go over, I I don't even know if that's, maybe the meat's Whole30, I don't know how that works, but he's never going to eat the meat, or I'm sorry, the wheat. There went that emphasis, right? Why not? Because it's who he is. His will is bound by his nature. And friends, I would say that our will is also bound by our sinful nature. The reality is, is we need an outside source to enter into the story and to be at work. So that's point two. You see, these first nine verses are the first half of the story. Here's The second half, verses 10 to 15, follow along with me. It says this, I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which has already been, that which is to be, already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. So here's the second part that we're going to look at today is the other half of the story where God enters in. And let me tell you a story here about Ikea. Anybody shop and get a big piece of furniture at Ikea ever? Yes, great deal, right? Uh Uh-huh, yep. We got a Hemnes chest of drawers for my daughter 15 years ago. And, you know, they say in the instructions, please lay out all the pieces so we can check if it's here. 
That took like five days just to lay it out. And I'm looking at it, it's like, count the screws. I'm like, 8,921. I remember when that thing's unpacked, I step back, and I'm like, honey, we're going to move. We're, we need to, we're going to move out of this house so I don't have to deal with this going on in front of me. There's this reality before I began to open the instructions of, of hopelessness, right? As I look at the pieces of furniture, and friends, I would just say this, is that oftentimes when we look at the, at the shards or at the pieces of the furniture of our lives, of the seasons and the rhythms that we don't understand, we can also feel that same sense of hopelessness. What sense does this make? Well, Kahelet helps us see that perpetual change in the rhythms of life actually has an opportunity to not be so unsettling if we look at it as being something that's set forth by the master builder. Let me show you a couple of pictures of this. Verse 11, what does he say? God makes all things beautiful in, the, in its time. This was preached in my ordination service seven years ago, and, and I would have never imagined that this would become one of the most important verses of ministry for me. Friends, I think of this verse weekly. As I look at my own brokenness, the brokenness of others, at death again, I just sat in my office and begged the Lord to press this into my heart. That this is true. And let me just say this. There's, a, there's always a danger, especially when there are people in our midst that are really suffering. And friends, there are many of you. you know, I want you to hear what I preached a couple of weeks ago where God's Word says He keeps track of our tossings and He keeps our tears in a bottle. He doesn't forget that Jesus stands at the tomb of Lazarus in His death and weeps. That is our lead foot, by the way, if we are walking with someone through pain. Do not walk up to somebody and say, oh, I know this is hard. God makes all things beautiful in the time. Stomp on their feet if they say that to you, friends. Don't do that. Don't do that. But I do want you to hear this as well. As much as we need to hear and beg the Lord for the eyes of faith to know that He's hearing our tears and seeing them and not losing track, we also need to beg for the eyes of faith to convince us that He is also making all things beautiful. And it's time. Here's something else. And this is really the problem. Verse 11, it says, He's put eternity in a man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We can't see that beauty oftentimes, is what he's saying. He's put eternity in our hearts, but we are not eternal. And so we are rarely actually able to see the full outworking of that beauty. Friends, in some ways, that's, that's the problem, right? It's not the rhythms of life. It's the fact that we just can't see everything that He's doing. The two conclusions that we reach here is that we are enclosed by time's boundaries. But the hope is God is not. Verse 14 is one other glimpse I want us to look at. He says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Friends, in our moments of pride where we think God needs our help, He actually doesn't. We can't add to his work at all. And there's also great hope that in our largest gaffes in life, we also can't detract from his good work. Now, some of you may say, well, Anthony, verse 12, right, where it says, well, the goal is, is to be joyful and do good works. And I don't need God to do that. So there's my proof that I don't need God. Do good means to do the best they can. And friends, I would say this. 
I think Scripture's call to those who follow God is to do good works and to be joyful, right? But here's the long shadow that we see in verse 12 that's going to eventually hit all of us. It says, as, both, as long as we both, or as long as we shall live. The shadow is that this world will end. That our works will one day stop. And one day that will sink in. And it can create a chill that's either not able to be withstood by us or something that might give way to what we see in verses 13 and 14. Did you, did you catch this? In verse 13, it says, Everyone shall eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. Not eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But eat, drink, and enjoy what we're doing because it is God's gift to humankind. Friends, we are able to enjoy the gifts of God because they're gifts from God. They're not our identity. They're not the things that we build our life on that is unable to hold the weight of our lives. It's like a Christmas gift. If we ever look at a Christmas gift as being worthy of every ounce of our being, then we're fools. That foundation we build our lives on will collapse. But if we truly look at it as a gift, we'll be able to enjoy it, not suck the life out of it. Here's the other thing that we see is it points out uh, that, that we can't add or take away in verse 14, is that God's work needs no amendments or correction. Friends, that should give us much hope as we see our own foibles and failure. Here's the problem with the Ikea furniture. As we look at the, the wooden pieces of our lives and try to make sense of them, we think we're the builder. What God says here is we're actually the hemness dresser. He is the architect. He is the project manager. He is the builder. And he is able to be trusted. Let me get to this last point. The fullness of time. Because this was an unbelievable week to be sitting in this passage. I'm looking at this going, okay, Lord, there's seasons. Okay, Lord, if I bring you back into the picture, acknowledge you, ask for the eyes of faith, then, you know, I, I, can, I can lean into that. But, but I'm just not sure how I can do that. How can I trust you? How, how can I make sense of the death and the sin and the rebellion? And then the Lord just brought along these pictures that we see in the New Testament of how much the idea of time is associated with Jesus. Have you ever noticed that in the New Testament? What's on display here is there's a time for this and a time for this and a time for this and a time for this. And then we move to the New Testament. We read this about time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Mark 1.15 The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In John 7 So they were seeking to arrest Jesus, but no one laid a hand on Him because His hour, that's time, had not yet come. Friends, my heart began to warm this week to this reality that, that God's time is perfect and it's made evident by the person and work of Jesus and His timing. As we read through the rest of Scripture, and the Gospels in particular, do you know all the things, building and uprooting and, and wrath and war and peace, we actually see those elements that Kehelet is calling us to fulfilled in Jesus. 
He said every plant that God does not plant is going to be uprooted by the Father. He says there is a time to heal. Jesus shows us that there is a time to wage war against sin, and then there is going to be a time for peace. There was a time to build His church. And even Jesus Christ Himself in Gethsemane wrestled with His Father and His Father's timing. He perspired blood as He said, God, I'm wrestling with Your timing of sending me to the cross. If it's Your will, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but Yours be done. Friends, the reason we can trust Jesus and trust our triune God and His being the architect and the builder of our lives and our time is because what Jesus proved to us in Romans 5-6, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God gave us the most so we can trust that He will give us everything that's less than that. Let me give you two quick application points. One, one of the takeaways from this is the very first line of these rhythms of life. There's a time to be born, and there's a time to die. One important aspect of understanding these rhythms is that we are called to actually prepare to die. Hebrews 9 says we are all destined to live and to die once, and then to face judgment. And so, friends, that rhythm of sin that we are all trapped in, that require judgment, the offer is before us to trust in Jesus Christ to receive that judgment on our behalf. Because in the fullness of time, He died for us to make us His for eternity. To wipe away one day every single tear that we've shed and no more will be shed. There's simple four words that we can think about about what that means. It's God. It's us, it's Jesus, and it's response. God is perfect and holy, and He made us to know Him. But then us, well, we blew it. We rebelled against Him. We severed the relationship. But He offered us Jesus to live and die for us. So that if we simply respond in faith and call out to Him, say, Jesus, I believe I deserve Your judgment, that we turn to Him in faith and we live with Him for all of eternity. One day we will see Him making all things beautiful in their time. Here's the second thing, and I'll be brief. But you know, I always wrestled with Philippians 4, 4-7. through 7. It talks about be anxious in nothing and be joyful in all things. And I wrestle with it because Paul's in prison. He's not sure he's going to get out. And I think Paul actually believed that which we've been talking about, about God. That He is good. That He gave, him, gave of His Son for him. That He is in control of all things and He can be trusted. And it's in the wake of that that he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Friends, are we willing to leave our time in God's hands? Are we willing to leave our time in God's hands? Are we going to frenetically try to snatch it all back by trying to gain control instead of trusting Him? 
God has made everything beautiful in its time. What He does lasts forever. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, the book of Ecclesiastes is possibly the toughest passages I've ever had to wrestle with in my own heart and preach on. Lord, would you help apply this to our heart and to our lives? Lord, would you cause men and women to gather together and and ask the hard questions of one another? Are we fighting the rhythms that you've put into our lives? Are we trusting you with the eyes of faith? That you are a good and loving architect and builder of all that's happening in our lives. And Lord, may we pray together to beg the Holy Spirit to give us those eyes of faith where they're lacking. Lord, for the one who has written you out of the story, who is building their lives on that which will only collapse, Jesus, I pray that you will show them the beauty of the foundation that is Jesus Christ, that in the fullness of time you sent him that we may build our lives on, that it may last for eternity. Draw that heart to you. And Lord, for the heart that is hardened because of grief, hardened because of drift away from you, Lord, I pray that you would grip that heart with faith and repentance, that they may see the expulsive power of a greater affection in who you are, Jesus, that you are better than any of the things that they might be resting their lives on. And Lord, would you make us a church as we face the rhythms of life, as we face death, as we face anger, as we face war and peace. Lord, make us a church that is not undone by it, but that, Lord, trusts in your faithfulness. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.